0: All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Cutlass Podcast. And again, we are continuing down this road of communication and feedback and performance feedback and having difficult conversations. We have power bases at our tools, our leadership tools. We have influence tactics as the way we can use those tools. But the strength of your application of those influence tactics comes down to the strength and your efficiency with communication skills. But clearly one that we all do every day and it's probably our primary tool with listening is speaking. And I think most of the listeners and most you know humans have good interaction speaking one-on-one. And we can always all learn to be better at that. I'm still working on interpersonal communication skills. There's always some way to get better because the people you're talking to change. Their willingness to accept your ideas changes and their own value and belief system changes. But I want to talk a little bit today about something that we're all going to get introduced to at some point as a leader in any organization. That's going to be speaking to a in front of a group or public speaking. And I think this is a good skill to learn early on. And uh, I think I've got a great guest to kind of get into this. My guest today is going to be Mass Chief Toby Ruiz. He's from Monte Vista, Colorado. He joined the Navy in 1991, originally as a signalman back when we had that rating, but he eventually converted over to being a Navy career counselor. He was eventually selected in 2008 into the Command Senior Chief Program. And then was uh, selected into command mass chief. Later, he served a variety of tours in a source rating and as a command mass chief. But I came to know him when he was the force mass chief for Naval Information Command. And then eventually, I retired. He went on to do other great things. So he's from there. He went on to be the executive assistant for the mass chief petty navy, and he's currently the command mass chief for the First Marine Expeditionary Forces. So. Toby, thanks for taking some time to discuss this topic with me. Welcome to the Cutlass Podcast. How's everything going,
1: Paul? Uh, everything's going great out here in California, and uh, there's just a lot of goodness that you have on this podcast, and I'm just very humbled to uh, to be here with you. So thanks for having me on.
0: Again, thanks for taking time. As I mentioned, right, I had you on the list of to get guests. For a while now, and specifically for public speaking. So, I've watched you speak in a variety of settings, and I think you're an accomplished speaker. So, I thought you'd be a a great guest to discuss this topic with and offer insights and advice. Because, as we'll discuss, this is one of those key things that people have to do, but many people are very intimidated by it. It's one of those top fears that's out there. So, let's start off with your background. And when it gets to public speaking, per se, was that a skill that came naturally to you, or was there a journey you went on to develop those skills?
1: Well, first off, thanks for the kind words. Uh, I really take pride in trying to, to be good, uh, public speaking wherever I may be. You know, pu- public speaking, I felt like it's always come natural to me from a very young age. Uh, you know, back in high schools in student council, each of my high school years, I, I did some very part-time work at a local hometown radio station. You know, I was a, I had a side gig as a mobile DJ back in the day and I would always pick to give like either dissertations or you know, speeches on something that I've researched, vice having to do like a a history project or a science project or something. So getting in front of a crowd, I've never really been afraid to do. In my Navy life, uh, you know, when I was a second class, first class, honor chief, the only time I'd really speak in groups was to give training or, you know, if we're going to do an evolution brief, an exercise and navigation brief, what so it be. Again, felt very comfortable as long as I was prepared Also, as a chief, that's when I started venturing into the world of being a master of ceremonies for different people, different events. Right. Uh, And normally, as long as it's all scripted, uh, or at least had a good flow. It felt very, very comfortable. Okay. Uh, you know as well as I do, when we went into the Senior Listen Academy, uh, they teach you this thing called impromptu speaking, and that became a little challenging because now you got to think on your feet. You know, that could be a bit of a challenge, or it's hard to maybe say, hey, I don't know that answer. Let me go get it for you. Come back. Then I became a Command Senior Chief, Command Master Chief, Didn't really do a lot of public speaking there, other than maybe a master ceremonies here or there. When uh, I I became a a major command CMC and then a force master chief, it seemed like my public speaking tour kind of just took off and did a lot of it. That was a lot of the job that I had to do. Again, never really minded it. I've never been afraid to get in front of people or to talk in public. And I think once you do it a couple of times... You get a little more comfortable with it. It gets a little bit easier.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. So, I had a where I remember it the most was besides having to get up in middle school, you know, I went to Catholic school, so middle school or high school and give speeches and stuff like that. I was also an altar boy, right? So, I, very early on, the first comfort was not that I was speaking, but I would have to be up in front of these audiences of several hundred people, you know, in a very visible public role. And like I said, there wasn't a lot of speaking there, but it was getting comfortable being in that setting. And then from there, I had a mentor who was a lector or the person that kind of MCs for lack of a better term, the sermon. He brought me along and said, hey, I think you'd be really good with this. And that got me into this world of public speaking. And I had mentorship and guidance. And then you know, at a very young age, we're talking, you know, 12, 13 years old, very similar to you, my experience speaking in the Navy just introduced you to these different audiences, whether it was starting out, you know, as a small team doing briefs or evolutions or giving training, being an instructor, right, and honing those skills. And then eventually you get it up in the higher level of executive leadership, you know, flag level leadership where you have to give speeches or be the master of ceremonies for a Navy ball or something. So, I don't know if I naturally had the skills, but I think they're developed over time. But I think it's just getting comfortable with those audiences. There's many fears, as I mentioned, that come with public speaking. So what were some of the fears that affected you early on? Because I know I had them. And how did you overcome those?
1: So, you know, as I mentioned, um I, I've never been afraid to get in front of people or to talk in public. But, you know, that being said, uh, I, I'll tell you that. No matter how many times I've been in any speaking role, even up to today, I am a bit scared. There's a lot of nerves. There's a lot of anxiety before I'm set to speak. And, you know, I'm told that that's a good thing to have. It's a natural feeling to have. Uh, I don't always feel that. But, you know, for me, one of my biggest personal shortfalls, I think, is that I'm my own worst critic. And I always want to hit a home run every time I get to the plate even though, you know, that's probably not going to always happen. One of my biggest fears, I think, is that I will totally suck at a public speaking event. But, you know, something that stuck with me came from one of my mentors. You know, they told me, don't associate these pre-speech feelings with the sense that you are going to perform poorly or that you're going to make a fool of yourself. So while that's a good thought to have in the background, you know, for me, the nerves are good to have, the adrenaline that I get, It kind of puts me on alert, you know, to get up there and hit that home run that I want and to always give my best performance.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. I had that teed up to ask you later, but I don't know if it's scare per se, but it's definitely a nervous energy, right? Because you've prepared ideally, you want to connect, but there's always that feeling of, okay, how am I going to be received? Do I know my stuff? You know, what's this unknown? So there's some fear of the unknown out there. I think there's a fear of failure, I think there's a fear of embarrassment that you can overcome. So there's a lot of fears that go with it.
1: No, when when that curtain opens or that introduction is made, the applause is going. All all those fears got to be put away. Yeah, got to set that in the background. And you know, for me, you know, when it's time, it's Toby time. You know, I just try to be me, try to be myself. You know, and what you see is what you get. And that's you know basically kind of my persona when I get to these types of uh, speaking events.
2: Yeah, I think
0: there's some piece of it. Is you know, as we'll talk, you know knowing yourself having a little bit of emotional intelligence and be able to read a room and stuff so we'll talk a little bit about that so we talked about management right planning organizing directing controlling speeches have to be planned and organized so what goes into your planning process when you're pairing to give or writing a speech and or just to huddle the team together for morning quarters or to give an impromptu speech what goes into that planning
2: piece
1: You know, for me, every time that I speak, regardless of where it's at or who it's to, it has to be planned and organized. You've heard me tell the joke, I have one brain cell, I are not smart. Yeah. You know, for most of my speaking engagements, I always try to get as much information as I can about what I'm supposed to be talking about. And this kind of helps me roadmap, if you will, my choice of words, how much information I'm going to give, you know, do I have to motivate as part of it and so forth. You know, for any kind of speaking event, I always try to determine, you know, what's the event that I'm going to speak at? Who is my audience? How many people are going to be there? Yes. Um. In that group, are there any VIPs? Are there any big shots that, you know, I need to be aware of, you know, and who are they? What's the venue? Am I yep. speaking in a, you know, a small group? Am I speaking in a large auditorium, you know, and what kind of platform do I have? I tend to be more of a podium guy because I need those notes to kind of follow and keep myself on track, but, You know, am I on the podium? Do I have free movement on the stage, free movement in the crowd? Do I get to ask questions, interact, so forth? One thing more recently that we've had to deal with because of COVID is am I talking to more than just one audience? Am I not just talking to the live crowd, but now am I talking to Facebook Live or am I talking to a pre-recorded where I have to look at those cameras as well to make sure that I draw in that crowd too? You know, how long do I have to talk? Your required time for me to chit chat. What's the theme? What do you want me to talk about? And are there specific points in that that you want me to hit home for you? And then, you know, is there a question and answer session following? I love the interaction. Love to do that, especially in my Force master Chief days,
0: just to, to have good conversations, as you mentioned. Yeah, I think that's great. And you went through basically what I would say is like, as I wrote in the Chief Petty Officer's Guide, we talked about in the planning podcast episode, right? There's a series of questions. So you should say, who am I talking to? What am I talking about? Or what do I want to communicate to them? Or maybe what are they interested in hearing, right? Depending on the speech you're giving, where is it going to be? Because that factors into some things. When is it going to be right? Time, time frames matter. And then why am I talking to this group that matters? And then how do I want to present or how do I want to communicate to them, right? What is the tool of communication that's best delivered? Because sometimes you're going to get face-to-face and then other times you're going to be over these other uh, mediums of
2: communication. So.
1: Yeah, you know, Paul, if I may also add, you had mentioned there about impromptu speaking, and you know, no matter the situation, even in impromptu, I, I have to have a plan in my own brain cell so to speak. I need five minutes beforehand, and it's happened a couple of times. Somebody doesn't show up, or something happens one reason or another, and hey, Toby, you want to share a couple words? I'm always about doing that, but as soon as I say yes, I need five minutes by myself. I need to pull out my little wheelbook or whatever I can write on, and just jot down a couple of thoughts. Because again, if you just try to wing it, or if you just try to start talking, you know, shooting off the hip, which we tell all of our chief editors not to do, it becomes very evident very quick, and then you're all over the place, and that could hurt credibility.
0: And in most cases, right? You know, when it gets to impromptu, I would tell you that some cases, as I was going out and about. I would definitely have a framework. You know, it wasn't as organized as a speech, but if I was going to go out and do, you know, like a call in a theater or with a small group where I just huddled them up, I'd still have my points. And at this point, you know, the older you get and the more experience you get, you have these beliefs and things you value that you don't need to be prepared, right? You're just going to be able to talk to those from the heart. But at the same time, the questions would come in, and that's kind of where you had to, okay, you don't know what's going to come in. But I think as long as you stay kind of true, you stay honest. And if you don't know, you don't have a thought. Or you haven't thought it through, you just be very transparent, authentic, and just go, Hey, I haven't really given that much thought, you know, let me get back to you on that. Absolutely. Or, you know, or if you're gonna come back and you just talk from the heart and go, Hey, this is my opinion, you know, here's what I think about this that will connect well, so I think that's good. So you planned it out, right? You know these audiences. You've gone through these list of questions we talked about. You've got a sense of how you're going to go through. Then you got to get organized and prepared. What kind of things would you offer the listeners to consider as they're getting organized? What's your advice on practice? Should they use a script or note cards? When do you or don't you use a microphone or any kind of props or visual support?
1: The Senior Listed Academy for the Navy side – they teach us, obviously, the three-part comps. Introduce your subject, talk about the subject, summarize what you just talked about. Yep. That's pretty much your speech. I used to be an old NAV lead instructor back in the day, the two-week courses, and I've kind of tailored that roadmap that we had there into where I use as a guide to give my speeches. So, again, first and foremost, I'll always recognize who are the VIPs in the crowd, if you have any, or any special, you know, out boys, out of girls that you want to give. And I always thank the group who invited me to the event. And then other participants that have made that event happen, if you got, you know, Color Guard, National Anthem Singers, Ceremony Participants, whoever, introduce my talking points, kind of maybe motivate the crowd about why they should uh, pay attention for the next couple minutes. Okay, uh, you Uh know, Talk about the points. You know, and then summarize what I just talked about. That's kind of back to the three part uh, comms that we were taught. But then again, you want to kind of close up where why were these talking points important? You know, why this is why you, you know, you kind of brought me here to talk with you. And uh, I want to make it work for a while. And then, of course, you thank everybody for letting you be a big part of their event. I'll tell you, I mentioned earlier, I I like podium. Uh, I think that I can still be. Very, uh very energetic and capture your attention behind the podium. OK, but again, depending on what is given to you and what you have to work with, you know, every single one of us has a different preference on how we like to speak. Some people like podium versus free movement. Some people like a, a detailed script versus an outline. Some people like no cards versus from the heart, as you mentioned. Uh, Some people like to use a handheld mic versus a lapel mic versus a podium mic. I guess the advice I give there is always remember, we must always have a plan for the platform that's being offered to us for that time on the stage. Remember that what we do is about the audience. It's not about
0: yourself as a speaker. Yeah, I like that. So I think you're right. I think you have to consider, you know, so when people get nervous, I think, again, there's that feel of something going wrong or failure. So there's risk with public speaking, right? So depending on what you're going to do, there's risk. So I tended to be, you know, for if I'm in a master of ceremony, I would probably start at the podium, right? And I usually, when I was speaking early on, depending on how comfortable I was with the material, that depends on, like, am I going to anchor myself to a speech, or am I going to be able to use note cards, or have I kind of gotten the major muscle movements in my head or the major points, and I've delivered them enough to where I can leave the podium and now go out and walk and engage with my audience? At the same time, when you're out there walking around, right, you can actually over engage and over walk and actually be a distraction, right? So then it becomes a li- you know it becomes a liability. I was a person again who who. Who tended to to want to walk around just because I have a lot of internal energy that kind of I pace. You know, I did get some feedback, and we'll talk about that later about you know the limits of that. And then another big thing that I got into thinking about was we'll go into practice, right? So find that person that's out there that hey, if you're not comfortable, or you want to just talk through your script. Hey, does this point make sense? Does it flow right? Um, before you're worried about delivering with effect and passion, it's like hey, is the outline right? Is it too long? Is it too short? What didn't make sense, right? So having that person at home, whether it's a spouse, a girlfriend, a peer, a friend, having that to bounce it off initially. And then as you get more comfortable and you get into delivery and you know, hey, I want to really emphasize this point with a story or whatever, it's still great to have a person that can listen through that. So that's a piece of your organizing. And then also when you're thinking about delivery, right? Microphones are a big deal, right? Um, and, And there's technical side that goes with that. So I've seen, I can't count how many times, Where people don't understand how to place the speaker when they're speaking with a microphone so they don't get feedback, right? And understanding that if you are in front of the speakers, right, you're going to deliver feedback uh, because the speaker is going to blare into your microphone. Those are things you have to think about and learn and get advice on. And then props and visuals. Definitely, if I'm trying to inform, you don't want to kill them with words and stuff on PowerPoint. But there's a there's a time and a place to definitely use visuals or use props as you need to.
1: No, I, absolutely. And uh, you know, you, you brought up a couple of uh, great points there that I was just reflecting on. The pre speech prep and feedback is very important too. And you know, trying to get it from two or three different people that you know are going to actually give you feedback. You know, I love, I I love feedback. We'll talk about that here in a little bit, but I I really enjoy, you know, when people say, yeah, man, that was a great speech. You hit it, whatever. But I'm really a lot of times looking for that dude that was too long yeah, or, you you know, you drove that point home a little bit too hard or this and that. So you want to make sure that you surround yourself with people that you know are going to give you some good downright feedback to make sure to help you improve yourself as you go along. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is the, the the feedback that, you know, you start in one place, you start moving around and then don't realize that, oh, no, I shouldn't have walked in front of these speakers now because now it seems like you've committed yourself, but like you said, that feedback is coming or, you know, something else technical happens and now you you may have just killed that vibe that you were really getting into, yeah. uh, which, which could, you know, overall hurt the effort.
0: Yep. And it's funny, right? Just something as simple as like, Hey, do you have batteries? And is that microphone charged with new batteries and having a backup microphone? These are things that, you know, you think they're simple <laughs> to think about, but you, as well as I have, I've had that happen to me. I've been handed a microphone, start speaking and then in a theater where you need it, um, but you got to be able to adjust. So if your microphone goes dead, what's the backup plan, right? Um, can you project your voice, right? Do you have a strength of voice to talk to an audience of a couple hundred people? Um, so it's just things to think about. And then, uh, and then the point you made about feedback, right? This gets into this whole theme in the last few episodes about getting feedback, not just giving it, but are you open to feedback? And do you have people that are willing to challenge you with radical candor or to have a difficult conversation? in your best interest and to make sure that you improve and deliver. So I thought that was a good bit. Um, All right. So it's time to execute and deliver. We're there. We got the venue. We've done all our checks. Batteries are good. Speakers are set up right. Got our note cards. Got our props. We come in there. You got that nervous energy. You've learned to manage it. Um, One thing I would offer for my advice when you start is I always found it useful before I even started speaking was to go up in front of the venue and just get comfortable in what that room looks like and what the audience looks like before you get called up there. So you've done that. You've managed your nervous energy a bit. Ideally, you haven't consumed a whole bunch of alcoholic beverages thinking that's going to make you feel better because in the end, it's probably going to make your speech, it's going to make the speech go off a little bit. You know what I mean? Maybe one to kind of calm the nerves a bit. But uh, if you're thinking about that, don't do too many. So we're starting the speech, right? So do you tend to do jokes or warm-ups or what do you think about there? And then as you start to execute the speech, how are you gauging the audience reaction and how do you get a sense of how you've got to adjust?
1: So if, if I may, before I get to that point, you know, anytime I'm I'm going to do a, a speak or a public speaking event, the first opportunity that allows me to that day, I, I have to look over what I'm going to talk about again. You go over the speech, go over your outline notes, whatever. And I kind of visualize it in my head how I'm going to deliver the remarks and kind of try to just at least make the venue that I think it's going to be and visualize to put me in that mode, you know, and then like you mentioned, which is, I think a very important part. Once you get there to that venue, I have to get inside. I have to go look around then revisualize what I did in my earlier prep that morning versus where am I at real time? Am I yeah. going to speak where I thought I was going to speak? Am I going to look at, you know, wherever to make sure that I can envision what my now reality is going to be and then adjust as appropriate. Okay. Before the speech, I also would try, you know, a lot of times if there's either social hour or there's a few minutes before you're going to get up there to speak. I work the crowd. I'll go introduce myself to people I don't know. Hey, how you doing? You know, what do you think about tonight? Da, da, da. Just to kind of break that ice and yeah. feel like I can get to know a few people yes. in that crowd so that when I do get up there, it, it, one, it definitely helps with the nerves before showtime. But number two, then I can also look for them. In the audience, as I'm looking out and trying to scan the whole crowd there, those people that I talk to now, now that they know who I am and we've had a little bit of interaction, I can speak to them and kind of help drive home points, at least to them, where I'm talking to all, but they're very important to me as part of that stage presence. Like I mentioned, you know, when it's time to get up there, it's time. Just be me, try to be myself. I, I never, ever want to come off as a preacher or a talking head or... That nice hand person that, <laughs> that you've seen from time to time. Uh, I just want my audience to trust what I have to say. Uh, I look, I'm just a normal dude. What you again? What you see is what you get. You talked about humor. I, I love telling stories. Uh, I love jokes as long as I know that the jokes are going to be effective and yes. have some meaning behind it. But you know, I would also say that if you have to question yourself, is this the place to do it? Don't do it. Right. Don't tell it. And if you tell that joke and something bombs or you don't get that kind of reaction to what your intent was, for me, you always you know I've always said, you know, I had to poke fun of myself or I had to do something to simply acknowledge that that attempt failed, but don't lose me. You know I'd say something yeah. like, you know, now you know why I'm in the Navy and not a comedian on <laughs> tour, yes. you know yep. or or boy, those crickets are working overtime tonight." Aren't yeah. they? you know something yep. like that just kind of break that ice and continue your focus along the side so the more impactful the stories the better and i would also mention along that with stories remember that they don't have to be your personal stories every time we are all students of history especially the more senior we become so do some research a lot of those stories are out there for us to retell that's part of that heritage that we are tasked to know by using some of those gems of stories that we that we find to drive home those points, we're going to grab the audience's attention, and they like that kind of interaction or that kind of memory aid that they'll remember long past when you're done on the stage.
0: Yeah, I love that. So I'm with you. I the work the crowd thing definitely. I do that. It's good to have friends in the audience and people you know, especially if it's a new command or a new organization. So use that pre-event um, social hour, You know, like I said, not to get hammered, to get comfortable with the speech, but to meet people and build <laughs> comfort with your audience. One of the biggest advice I give to people speaking is feel how it feels to get up as people are coming into the venue, right? And you're standing up front because I, I'm telling you, that helps alleviate some of that nervous tension and – because it can be a shock if you have never spoken in front of three, five hundred, a thousand people and you get called out from behind a curtain or called up on front of the stage and you turn around – and see that audience, that can be overwhelming and kind of get nerves going. So get up there, be on the stage, make sure your speech is up there prepped. You know, I had my speech, but I always thought it was going to get lost. So I had a hard copy with me, but I always mailed a copy of the speech to the person who was coordinating the event for them to have it up there. And then I always had the speech placed in a place where I knew it was. So I didn't go, oh man, I forgot my speech. As far as jokes for me, you know, I I was never a fan of the planned joke, right? Because there's risk with it going and I think jokes have to come from the heart. But I would usually find that throughout the speech somewhere, there was just a point I would make or someone would give me a response and I could just capture that moment and turn it into a, a jovial time. So that's a key piece of it too. And then for me, you know, as I'm going through, I'm watching the audience, right? So I'm gauging, right? Am I seeing the heads up and down? Am I seeing lackluster response? Don't get focused on the person with the scowling look as the general. That doesn't usually represent the general feedback. Scan that audience. Try to get eye contact if you can't. But if you are really nervous, the tactic I was taught is you look above the head, you know, and scan, you know, it'll look like you're looking at them face to face and engaging. But if you're not a person who likes that eye to eye contact, at least when you're starting with these things, that's something you might want to avoid
2: so you
1: know that's a great point about because that was one of my weaknesses first starting was that eye-to-eye contact and a lot of times it was in smaller groups so even if you tried that above the head look especially if you're a short dude like me you know that, that always didn't go over very well but but it is good again to to make sure That You're talking to the whole crowd, and you you hit a great point not to focus on that poopy pants guy out there that just is is mad because he's there. Work work that whole group, and remember that it's the whole group that you're after, not just your your one or two worst critics. You're always going to have them, so put them aside and keep moving forward. Build that confidence in your talks. You also had mentioned visual aids you said too many can break the direct connection of the audience so you know use them sparingly but i think another one that uh i have seen that has really had an impact is non verbs you remember that 80% of your message is what people see yeah. and uh, advice with people hear but you know one time i had this ceo I, I won't name the ship but every time he would get up to talk to the crew it was the uh game and it was it was oh my gosh it was so so bad that even before the all-hands calls were going to be done, we would have the, the DK on board would get up and would take bets. we kind of play prices Right rules as to how many times is the captain going to say, uh, yeah. before. So then people focus on that and they lose total intent of, of the word that the captain is trying to put out. So, again, if you get that feedback or see it amongst yourself, that's working on that to improve yourself will always go a long
0: way. Yeah, and that's a great segue, right? We all have those pregnant pauses we have to work on, whether it's you say, I know… Uh, ums. And now that I'm in the podcast game, it's interesting, right? Because each speaker, as I go back and post produce, there's certain behaviors or repetitious things they do. Some say, you know, I tend to do that. There's things we do, but just getting that feedback is important. So, again, um, let's go on to that. It's a tool of improvement. I've talked about that a lot in the last few sessions. How do you get it and how do you incorporate it into getting better?
1: I think this is the most important step of any of this putting together. Uh, Again, I'm very self critical and all things that I do as a leader. So I always welcome and encourage all feedback and I really hope to hear constructive stuff. Uh, There's nothing you're ever going to tell me that's going to hurt my feelings. You know, I just want to be better. Uh, I'll ask people who were there how I did and, and what can I do better for next time. I also, you'll have certain people who will talk with others after the event, trusted agents, if you will. I'll always ask them, too, hey, how did other people hear? How yes. did other people, you know, think of, of what I did? And, you know, is there any feedback there? Never be defensive. If you're going to ask if your baby is ugly, be ready for whatever answer you're going to get. And, you know, so many times I see people ask for feedback, and then they get very defensive, You you can't do that. Remember, this is to help you be better at your craft as as your leadership toolbox uh, gets filled. And and the other thing is, whatever feedback you get, work on it. Uh, Like you said, I have those same flaws too. I'm a big pregnant pause guy, uh, you know, or, or or you know, I'm a big you know guy. And also hand movement, hand placement is also another one trying to keep my hands still. You just got to work on those things and
2: take the feedback and say thank you for whoever's going to give it to you, both the good and bad. I, mean, I think
0: you get feedback on two things, right? The message delivery. So if you intended to send a message and it wasn't received and interpreted the way I want, and just you got to know, right – that audience has all kinds of different value and belief systems, right? So don't you know set up expectations that you're going to go out there and change the world. If you can get 5 to 10% to come along and receive that message and you pause them and get them to think differently, that's successful engagement, right? And then you just do it over and over. Communication is the muscle that you deliver influence with. And if you want to develop your muscle to get better at a sport, you do it in the gym, right? You do reps and sets. So again, getting out delivering messages, practicing over and over, getting the feedback, and then adjusting, that helps you strengthen that muscle of communication so you become more influential and you can deliver in a better way. Any last-minute thoughts?
1: Two different sets of thoughts here. First one, dealing still with the public speaking piece. You know, When you have time, always try to work on the shortfalls. We just talked about that. No matter how much you plan, how much you visualize, how much you use all of these tips that we've talked about here today, Uh, Your public speaking life starts with you. Uh, You know yourself best. You know your strengths and weaknesses. You know what you need to do to to be your best, to work on your confidence. You know, jump on every opportunity that's offered to you. I would highly recommend that to anybody. Um, And at the same time, never get comfortable you know we talked about sets and reps and if you've done that same talk to 10 different groups it there's something that's going to be different each time about it so always prep for it always be ready uh seeking room for self-improvement we talked about that uh watch others ted talks i have learned so many things from watching other speakers doing ted talks and uh, i think it's a great tool or other things online from youtube uh as as paul mentioned earlier you know practicing with others uh, tape, phone, video, tape your voice, listen to how you sound, things that you can work on speech better. Practice, practice, practice. I think for, for better speech communications, it's a, uh, it's a huge thing. Um, and if I may separately, Paul, you know, during my tenure as in Navi Four Force Master Chief, you know, you were one of my two fleet master chiefs over at Fleet Forces Command that I was blessed to serve with. You know, then you had always given us the guidance and rudder we needed to be relevant and good in our jobs there. And, you know, I'm really happy to see that you're continuing to provide sage leadership advice. Through these different platforms that you have now with u s and I the podcast, the writings for all of us to excel on, you may have retired, but you know you're still serving, and we benefit because of it. so thank you for the opportunity again to be here with you today,
0: brother No, absolutely, I think uh, I appreciate that feedback uh you know it is a privilege to be able to continue to influence, and that's the closing thought I would have. You already mentioned like there's plenty of resources out there to help you improve there's people that are willing to help you there's courses and there's videos. But I always started my speeches out by saying, hey, it's a privilege to be here tonight, but it really is, right? It's a privilege to have that opportunity to get in front of a group of people and try to influence them to something different. So when you're up there speaking, always appreciate that opportunity that someone allowed you a platform and value that platform and don't ever take it for granted. Toby, thanks for joining me. My guest today has been Mass Chief Toby Ruiz. It's been a pleasure, and you know, let's look again to connect at some point once we clear COVID or to do another episode of the podcast.
1: Again, thank you for the opportunity, and thank you again for what you're doing for all of us out there. We all benefit because of it. So until next time, my brother, take care.
0: All right, everyone. That wraps up another edition of the Cutlass Podcast. If you like the content, subscribe, and then share, comment, and help me get this content out or about. I'm Paul Kingsbury. I want you to take time to read, reflect, and then take what you learn and become a leader who goes out and makes a positive difference for your personal and professional life.